0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is among the state patrol unit that was advancing up the street, saying and
1: scattering the protesters at that point for people to clear the area. And so we walked away. I'm sorry? You're under arrest. Okay. Do you oh, mind telling me why I'm under arrest, sir? Why why am I under arrest, sir? Officer,
2: am here with CNN and he's not here right now. I'm here with We're arresting him live on CNN. We told you before that we are with CNN.
1: If you're just tuning in, you are watching our correspondent, Omar Jimenez, being arrested by state police.
2: That's the moment when my CNN colleague and a person who I am proud to call my friend, Correspondent Omar Jimenez and his team were arrested this morning, live on television, while covering the third straight night of unrest in Minneapolis. Hi everyone, I'm CNN Correspondent Kristen Holmes in for David Chalion, and this is The Daily DC. Fires tore through Minneapolis overnight as protesters flooded the city after the death of an unarmed black man, George Floyd, at the hands of police. Hundreds of National Guard troops and state police are now on the ground as buildings are burning in Minneapolis, including a police precinct. Protesters calling for justice after the shocking video emerged of a police officer pressing a knee on Floyd's neck for nearly eight minutes as Floyd pled for his life. So joining me now to discuss his arrest and the protests in Minneapolis, we are very lucky to have Omar Jimenez. Omar, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Kristen.
2: So first of all, I obviously wanna start with the big news. Uh, We are so glad that you and your crew, Bill Kirkos, Lionel Mendez are okay. Can you walk our listeners through what happened in the moments leading up to your arrest?
1: Well, we had gotten there in the super early morning hours. As you know, we are often tasked to do with uh, stories like these. And we had been there reporting outside of a a building that literally was fully engulfed in flames and there was no law enforcement anywhere or first responders of any kind uh, to be found. And then all of a sudden, within like a matter of a minute or two, everybody seemed to show up at the scene at once. And so local law enforcement came, fire department came, and then right at the end of the block was Minnesota State Patrol. And they started shouting out commands for for people to clear the area. So protesters scattered. We got out of the way because we saw a line of them marching down the block. And then once they sort of settled, we had been reporting right basically on the edge of their of their line, their perimeter that they'd been forming. And honestly, we were there for about 15 minutes, set up as our crew credentials clearly displayed. And then. It seemed like a protester ran by us. And so they chased after that person, circled that person. Next thing we knew, we were circled. And we kept reporting, because we're like, all right, they're just dealing with that person. All of a sudden, a patrol officer puts their hands on my arm. I still kept reporting, because I assumed you know, they just wanted to make sure I I didn't do anything reckless. But then all of a sudden, they said, you're under arrest. And I I was like, "I, I asked why. I did not get an answer. I continued to ask why, still didn't get an answer. Then they arrested my uh, photographer, Lionel Mendez, along with my producer, Bill Kirkos. And next thing I know, we were being led away in handcuffs and put into the back of the police van to be taken, taken downtown.
2: I was going to ask you what was going through your mind because there's this scene playing out for anyone who's seen the video where it's very obvious to those watching it that these police officers are circling you. But it sounds like in your mind, it it was actually like they were circling you, you maybe thought to protect you or to keep you out of harm's way at one point.
1: Yeah, I just know in the moment, I didn't think twice about it. I didn't think, oh my gosh, I shouldn't be in this spot. I mean, I might have tried to back away from them and... You know, I met that a little bit of resistance there. But even when I met that resistance, I didn't think twice about it. So it was a situation that I think developed in a way I did not expect. I was planning to narrate what was happening with this with this protester who was taken to the ground by police. And again, we're live and you've been live on air before, Kristen, a few times I've heard. And so, you know what that's like to be in the situation watching something unfold and trying to gather your thoughts on a situation where anything can happen. But in the anything can happen mindset, I still didn't expect that I'd be walking away from a live report on national television in handcuffs.
2: And the one thing that really stood out to me how calm and cool and composed and professional you were. I mean, I cannot imagine being as composed as you were throughout the entire series of events. How were you able to stay so calm?
1: Well, one of the things that I think I was doing in the moment is you sort of go into reporter mode when you're out at some of these scenes where you're, you're trying to process so much information in a story this big and trying to find a way to spit out something that sounds halfway understandable to to a wide audience. And then on top of that, you're dealing with protesters that are running every which way, throwing bricks, you've got fires in these buildings. So you're kind of running in this pseudo-adrenaline, hyper-focused mode for the job. And I think for most of that, I was still in that mode. And when, when the cuffs first start to go on, I think part of me was asking, what am I being arrested for? Because I was still in reporter mode. It wasn't until I was finally being walked away that I realized, oh, my God, that actually just happened. As opposed to when it was actually happening. I don't think I even had a chance to stop and say, oh, oh, my gosh, what, what, what do I do? What do I do? Why is this happening? Because. I honestly was just blown away that it was happening to begin with. So I don't really have a good answer for you. It wasn't something that I I did on purpose. Like I said, all right, I gotta stay cool and calm. I, I think it just happened out of the fact that I didn't really know what to do.
2: Yeah, kind of an out of body experience. It's like, is this happening to someone else? Am I watching this happen? Yeah. I wanna get your reaction to the statement that the Minnesota State Police put out about your arrest. It says, In the course of clearing the streets and restoring order at Lake Street and Snelling Avenue, four people were arrested by State Patrol troopers, including three members of a CNN crew. The three were released once they confirmed to be members of the media. We obviously saw the video of you showing your credentials to the officers. We saw you wearing your credentials uh, already. So you were all you already had them out. Uh, what's your reaction to this statement?
1: Well, my reaction is that it's sad that the first statement, the first opportunity they had to speak on it was not a true statement. In a time and in a story where they're working on trying to build trust with the community. And it was a statement that was quickly corrected by our communications team. It was a statement that was uh, apologized for by the governor, Tim Walls here in Minnesota, who apologized to our crew as well. And in regards to the validity of that, there was not only the credentials that were being displayed during our report while we were being arrested, it was the fact that when we were led away, we were sat in the police van Uh, for probably 20 to 30 minutes just sitting there as people were speaking outside. This video was already circulating everywhere within minutes of this happening. And so there were plenty of people that they could have called or could have called them and said, hey, that just happened on live television. You have this reporter's name. I gave him the name. You have seen and confiscated their press badge, which they had, you could match that face and name up to the name and face that was on television literally as this arrest was happening. So the theory that they weren't able to confirm that we were reporters until we made it all the way back to the to the station just doesn't really hold any weight.
2: Well, yeah, and again, we all saw it unfolding. We saw you showing them your badge. And I want to bring up the governor's statement because I think that It's really not common that you see leaders completely issue a full apology. And we saw him stand up there. He said he took full responsibility for your arrest. He offered that full apology saying he failed the press and journalists must be allowed to tell the story. I mean, what did you make of those comments?
1: Well, I was very appreciative of those comments and much credit to the governor, Tim Walls here in Minnesota. He's dealing with a really tough situation and he owned the moment as difficult as it may have been for an official in his position. Uh, As I understand from our CEO, Jeff Zucker, he was instrumental in helping us get released as quickly as possible. And this was happening in the very early morning hours of what I am sure has been a long week for him. But again, this goes back to my previous point of this is also happening at a time where trust between law enforcement and public officials and community is the central aspect of this story. And so I think he realized what he needed to do and and, and say at a time like this. And by the way, this was part of a press conference where we have seen him Uh, as passionate as we have ever seen him, at least over the course of this week, because he realizes what's at stake here. And you look across Minneapolis and what we have seen over the course of the past 48 hours, you see what is at stake and the anger and passion that is in this community. And this is trust, he says, that didn't just erode over the course of a week. It is trust they are fighting an uphill battle to build and trust that they have been trying to build for
0: years.
2: Yeah, and I, I want to talk to you about something we've had multiple conversations about in the past, which is talking about race. And I remember at one point, and this is something that you you told me that I have thought about a lot since this time, that as a black man, there are certain things that you have to be acutely aware of. One example that you gave me was walking behind people at night and how you just decide on your own that you're going to cross the street so that there's never a question of your intention for anyone around you. I want to continue that conversation a little bit about race. I mean, do you think there was a racial component to this arrest?
1: Well, in the moment, I will say it didn't even cross my mind. For, for whatever reason, as that was happening in the moment, there was a lot of process, I will say, in that moment. Um, and there, there were a few things that crossed my mind once I was in the back of the police van that, that had a racial component to it, just mainly thinking about uh, just the process of what exactly had just happened. And if that didn't happen on live television with the pressure of an audience and, and a governor looking down on what had just happened, what would have happened to me? And so that did cross my mind, but also once I was out and was able to hear about what had happened, one of our fellow reporters, Josh Campbell, was also at the same scene about a block away from us. He's white and he was one of the first to tell me that I had officers come up to me, too, and they asked who I was. I showed them credentials and they said, all right, go on your way. And again, we're at the exact same scene, the same types of of officers, as I understand from Josh, but his experience was a lot different than mine was. That's just bottom line, what ended up happening. And so looking at that set of facts compared to the experience I had, it's hard not to think with any sort of racial lens there. And it's a lens, by the way, that, that is extremely important because when you look at the story that we are seeing right now, And this is a conversation I was having uh, with my crew after this happened. It is a microcosm of the story that we are actually covering because one we've heard over the course of these incidents, things aren't getting worse. They're just getting filmed. And so when you look at what happened to George Floyd, the absolutely awful cell phone video of him crying out for help with an officer's knee on his neck, it was filmed and we saw it happen right before our eyes and there was seemingly nothing we could do. And then. Days later, here we are reporting on on a much lesser scale, but on this exact story, it's getting filmed and yet there's still nothing you can do. And so those are some of the thoughts I'm obviously still processing as much as I possibly can. But those are some of the initial things that came into my mind. And I will say one other thing is that my mom, who obviously was very worried in this, um, she did send me a text um, that I think sums it up for how she felt, because for her. As a mother, I think the experience was a little bit more emotional. And uh, I'm looking at it now, and she said, and I'm quoting here, and I hope she doesn't mind that I'm quoting, but she said, I wondered if I would be yet another mother who was informed that her beautiful black son had died while in police custody. That's something that didn't cross my mind, but for her, as someone watching, her son getting arrested and not knowing what was going to happen next and not knowing if she was going to get an explanation, that was among the first thoughts that came to her mind. And she texted me that within an hour of the arrest actually happening.
2: Well, and that's absolutely, it gave me goosebumps to hear you read that from your mom. And I think we've heard, or I know we've heard from multiple people who have watched what happened to you and been on our air on CNN all day really articulating the same thing, watching you be arrested and saying that at least it happened on live television, at least he was part of a national news network, at least he had resources behind him because that is what gave them comfort as they saw you being walked off in handcuffs that you wouldn't be another one of these stories. And I, I do want to just hone in on one thing here because you said it, this is a microcosm of a bigger story. And I want you just to give us a rundown of what you were covering last night and the looting and the protesting and the Minneapolis third precinct on fire, just so that our listeners know, you know what exactly is unfolding around you during all this.
1: Well, what's unfolding here in Minneapolis it, it seems to be unprecedented. And, and the governor described it as 48 hours of anarchy is what we have seen over the course of the past two days. So what my crew was actually covering was a second night of buildings set on fire, uh, of people throwing bricks through windows of looting. And by the way, these are all things that devolved from what has largely been peaceful protesting over the death of George Floyd and how his death has been handled. But we have seen, again, looting, fires over the course of two nights in a row. So when it was last night or or, uh, Thursday night that the police precinct, that has really been the central uh, focal point for where these protests have been happening, went up in flames despite officers putting up fences to keep people out that didn't stop them. The precinct goes up. People are shooting fireworks into the precinct as it's happening. The mayor is evacuating officers for their safety. And then when my team and I roll up just a few hours later in the early morning hours, the flames there are completely extinguished. But it's the building next to it is a huge five-story building that is just burning harder than I have ever seen anything burned. I mean, all the window, flames were literally coming out every single window and out the top of the building. But there was one thing that that was lacking there that I think was striking and something that I don't think I have ever seen in my career reporting was there was no law enforcement anywhere to be found, no first responders anywhere to be found as a huge building. And by the way, that was the case for over an hour and a half of us just standing there watching this building burn with no firefighters there to throw on any sort of water, no police to get people away. When there was a mass crowd, there were hundreds of people outside of this building watching it burn. And, of course, that was the case until the rush of of, of officers and and National Guardsmen and State Patrol came a little bit later.
2: Right, until the rush, and then they arrested a national TV journalist. Yeah, Omar, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, and I am very glad that your mom will get to have a long conversation, which I'm sure you'll have with her later today.
1: Of course, Kristen, thank you for having me, and it's a pleasure. Let's do it again soon.
2: Under better circumstances. Definitely. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. We'll have an extra episode for you tomorrow with Supreme Court reporter Ariane DeVogue going inside the legal fight happening over prisons and coronavirus. The Daily DC is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is the executive producer and Haley Thomas is the senior news producer. Raj Makija is our technical lead. Our episodes are produced by Will Cadigan and Mimi Mutessa and engineered by Francisco Monroy. David Toledo is the team's production assistant. Stay safe, stay healthy, and David will be back with you on Monday.
0: When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store.